Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. December 2021, a podcasting duo set themselves a mission to watch and review all four of the films in the Dirty Dozen franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dirty Dozen December on Fighting on Film. Welcome back everyone yet again to Fighting on Film and we're back with number three in our Dirty Dozen December roundup. Before we begin, we want to start off with a little bit of parish notes, if you will. First of all, we want to say a big thank you to everyone who's donated in our December fundraiser for Crisis. A massive thank you. It's a cause that me and Matt really, you know, think is really important. Obviously, no one should be homeless at Christmas or at all. Definitely not. We're over £100 now. Yeah, it's great. Um, smashed our target. Yeah, put a £50 target on there. Incredible response. Really humbling, actually. I'm so pleased. So thank you, everyone. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll have that running through uh, until the twentieth, um, and yep. then we'll we'll draw the the, the raffle. And there's going to be two prize winners, and they'll get a Dirty uh, Dozen December T-shirt and a copy of the OG and best Dirty Dozen film, and a copy of the novel that inspired it. Some great prizes there, and another big thank you to everyone who's bought a Dirty Dozen December T-shirt because it's our second design for a T-shirt, and we we didn't know how it would go, but we sold quite a few and it really, that sort of thing, as well as the Patreon, really helps the podcast keep going. It supports the show, doesn't it? That's the only reason we're doing it. And it just, it helps us pick up materials like books and things for research on films. Pay for rentals of movies that are harder to find if we can't get them on. Yeah, exactly. And, and pick up DVDs and, and that sort of thing. So yes, thank you everyone so much. No, it really, it really means a lot to us all here at Foth Towers, uh, Foth HQ. 
So I think we should get into the film, Matt, and I think you were going to cover production of Dirty Dozen, The Deadly Mission. Dirty Dozen 3, Helen St. Michelle. Amazing. That's a better title, because this is literally is. the least deadly of the Dirty Dozen movies. There's a good, like, four or five of the dozen that get out on this one, and it's, it's just yeah. like, this isn't super deadly. Yeah, deadly double meaning, I guess. This is actually the most consequential and weighty. There's stakes with this one, isn't there, really? Yeah, they really are high. Um, because in this mission, the Dirty Dozen are taking on a German chemical nerve agent laboratory in in france in a in an abbey and it is deadly it's horrible stuff there is a very grim scene where uh, a lady is gassed uh with it and it is quite graphic and possibly mm. the most striking scene from the whole film i think from the whole franchise perhaps as well yeah i mean it's to this probably, point it probably does beat out the you know pouring the petrol down the the ventilation shafts doesn't it it really is a striking scene in, in your otherwise quite by the books war film. Yeah, it's quite a straight down the middle uh, TV war movie. Uh, but basic plot is we join Telly Savalas, who isn't Archer Maggot. He's now Major Wright. And he's a uh, an, an officer which has been leading, it is hinted at, numerous Dirty Dozen missions. Um, so it seems that once Major Eisman's mission went well, and that was a success... The US Army brass thought, well, you know what? We're onto something here. We're onto a winner. You know who would make great soldiers? Prisoners. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, they're the expendables. I got a great idea. Take 12 prisoners and send them, and don't matter if they get killed, no one gives a shit. I, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't leave a mission of this weight up to no. <laughs> um, convicted criminals, though, would you? Yeah, exactly. Like... You know, the consequences are nil because if they fail, they die. If they yeah. die, if you're they, just killing some they, generals, then yeah, okay. Exactly. If they don't manage it, then fair enough. But if you're tasking them with taking out a chemical weapons plant, which is possibly going to be loaded into V2s and A4s, I think they call them. Some weird new rocket with extra fins. It's a V2 of extra fins. Yeah, it's, it, it's an intercontinental <laughs> ballistic missile, basically. Yeah, yeah. And the payload is going to be this deadly nerve agent. But the immediate threat is is to London and, and, and Britain with the, the nerve gas in V2 bombs. There's a little scene where uh, Telly's character says they're never going to gas Britain, but Ernest Borgnine counters that with, again, desperate, they will. So the, the, the new dozen are launched on this mission and um, they have to infiltrate this abbey, which is defended by uh, SS Death's Head Battalion, um, of course. Um, and not only do they have to destroy the nerve agent, but they also have to save the scientists, the French scientists uh, who are working on this nerve agent. Um, there's there's no real standout German baddie, but we, we once really. again are graced with Wolf uh, Carla's as uh, as the the German baddie, and this time instead of playing Sepp Dietrich um, or his brother, um, he is played. He's sorry, he's playing Colonel Krieger, um, and he has a he has a bit more to do in this film, bit. Um, but he doesn't have a lot to do. He's just there to sort of be uh, annoyed that things are going on. Yeah, it's just I think for, it was more confusing to see him again playing an officer who was dressed exactly the same as Dietrich was in Dirty Dozen 2. 
I mean, this is a confusing. This is a confusing movie. To be fair, yes. It's always like, is is he? Hang on, he got shot. I was like, what? Granted, we've watched this back to back, where no one else in their right mind would have watched this back to back. Stop! Stop! The franchise is already dead. (laughs) So Kent Lacriga is chasing the dozen, um, but he's foiled, um, and he's left shaking his empty MP40. Uh, the the dozen as they escape on a cargo plane with the French scientists. Uh, everything's gone to plan, and miraculously, more than two of the dozen have survived, which is incredible. Yeah, the survival rate of this one is is through the roof. It is. It's it's. This is mission success. Like it this is. has got to be Kernel right by the end of this mission, surely. Mm, yeah. We have to address the elephant in the room and note that uh, Lee Marvin has been replaced because at the time Marvin was too ill to reprise his role. But Telly's, Telly's a good standard. It's a little bit jarring he that he isn't playing a uh, crazed rapist. And I like the fact they don't bring it up. They don't yes, need to bring it up. They just they don't. He's just in it. Wouldn't it have been awful if they'd been like, now, we know that your brother was a crazy motherfucker. I'm sorry about your horrible brother who died. Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> no. That would have been weird if they brought like Major Maggot. Like, your, your brother's <laughs> dead. Your brother's yeah. died on a mission, but we're going to yeah. send you in to sort out some nerve agents. Wouldn't you've mentioned it in the first movie? Like, I'll get out alive. My brother's a major. Thank God. Thank God they didn't get down that route. It'd have been too confusing. Yeah, that would have been forced. So, Rob, do you want to introduce us to the new dozen, the Baker's dozen? Yeah. Well, obviously, before we before we get to that, so Ernest Borgnine is Major General Sam Warden again, as he is in all the 30 dozen films. He's the one constant for the whole franchise. Thank God we have one. Uh, we have Vince Edwards as Sergeant Holt, and he play he's your sort of Jekyll character, um, if if there is a comparison there. Yeah, the MP goes on the mission again with this one, doesn't it? Which is another parallel. Yeah, there's more parallels to this in this film than there are that he doesn't too, I think, at points. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm. Um, so he was famous for being in the Devil's Brigade, uh, Rat Patrol, and he was probably most famous in the, in the States for playing Ben Casey in the the, the uh, medical drama Casey in, in the 60s. It, and there's lots of big TV names in this, isn't there? Yeah, oh, yeah, there are. Yeah, if you're, you know, if, if you're American or you're a TV fan from the 80s, you'll you, you'll recognise some of these faces. I mean, admittedly, me and Matt probably aren't in the age range of knowing these guys at their peak. So the new dozen, we have Bo Svensson, who plays uh, Maurice uh, Fontiac, and he, uh, interestingly enough, has a connection to Marvin. So he was in The Delta Force, which a year previously was Marvin's last film. Um, and he was in Heartbreak Ridge and Kill Bill 2. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's quite good, quite good credits there. We have Randall Tex Cobb playing Eric Swede um, Wallen. Um, and he is, he's the posy character in this one. He's a big, heavy set, imposing dude. He was an ex-boxer in, in his actual real life and was known for having a really strong chin. And he was in Uncommon Valor as well. It's a nice little war movie connection there. Hmm. We have Gary Graham, who plays Joe Stern. He would be your John Cassavetes in the first movie. The, the yeah, Franco character. Almost. Franco, he's your Franco character, most definitely. So he's in. He was in Alien Nation. Uh, Star Trek fans out there know Matt's one. He played Ambassador Sovel. Is it Matt? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Enterprise uh, in the two thousands. And we got Paul uh, Piccany as Pops. He's the older. The older uh, chap who they, they get out of prison because he's really good at forgery and yeah a bit of a, a bit of a spiv black market chap, bit of a wisecracker Italian like he's a little bit Joe Pesci about him isn't there yeah so he was in the original Untouchable series 
But also, interestingly enough, he was ex-US Army Air Force um, and he flew 25 combat missions and did and won a distinguished flying cross in his um, pre-acting days, which I thought was fascinating. And then we have Vincent and James Van Patten, and they play Ronald and David Webber, and they're ex, I think they're ex-race car drivers. Something ridiculous like that, yeah. Ex-hot rodders, something like that, yeah. Mm. Um, but Vincent um, was an ex-pro tennis player who who actually played at Wimbledon. Um, and then he now commentates on World Series poker tournaments. As you do. As you do, yeah. Um, but apart from that, they're your main dozen. The rest of the guys are there to sort of fill it out. They do the 13 trope from Dirty Dozen 2. Mm. One of them doesn't make it. But it's like they don't really establish his character enough. Yeah, he panics during um, uh, live fire exercise. a live fire exercise where they're firing over them. And they it's so, it's so Everyone badly is so done. closely bunched up. It's they? so <laughs> badly done. They drive them into a field in the middle of the night and then there's a machine gun in front of them. Telly says this gun's locked to fire 36 inches above the ground. I saw Matt crawling in his chair when he was watching that sequence. Which is bollocks because the, it was not locked at all. It, the, the gun was jumping around like no one's business and it probably... Probably would have peppered one of the vans if it if it had been firing actual rounds. Extremely close. We'll have to give it a screenshot of that. Um, that's crazy. But yeah, so he he panics and stands up and gets gets shot. And then Kojak's just like, yeah, he's dead. Carry on. <laughs> There's so many scenes in this film where he's doing Kojak. I love it. The other bit where he's looking, he's watching um, the two lads trying to escape. Like in the like, this is seen like the first movie where mm. um, Ronald um, yeah, Swede stops them. Yeah, try and nick a thing, and it's the same. It's the same when you know Franco tries to escape. Telly in in the in the like the background like chewing on a matchstick, and it literally <laughs> could, you could cut that into a Kojak episode. It's just like so there's a, bad. There's a bit at the beginning where he's walking into the headquarters to meet um, Borgnine, uh, General Warden, and he literally he, it's not a close-up, but he literally you can see him as he walks up the steps. He flicks out his military ID like he's yeah. about to issue like a an arrest. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so Kojak. Major right, US Army. <laughs> it's like really like detective private eye sort of stuff. But yeah, so Matt, what did you what did you find about the actual uh, crew of the movie in the production? Well, there is not a lot out there on this movie, it has to be said. Um it really isn't. It's directed by Lee H. Katzim, uh, who is a prolific TV director. He directed The Rat Patrol, actually, Bonanza, Mission Impossible, um, Man from Atlantis. And he directed um the, the 1971 uh, Le Mans movie with with Steve McQueen which is his most prominent, probably best-known film. Cinematography-wise, it's actually really interesting. It, it was Tomislav Pinter, who was possibly one of uh, Yugoslavia, Croatia's greatest cinematographers that did the cinematography for this movie. The whole film was shot in Yugoslavia, as it was then, mm-hmm. with the assistance of the uh, Yugoslavian government and uh, military to an extent. And uh, it was it was financed by MGM and United Artists TV, but it was distributed by um, NBC. It was they they, they had the first uh, play of it on on TV. Other than that, I mean, there's not a lot out there. It was produced also by uh, Yugoslavia's Jardin Film, which is quite a well known and well respected Yugo Films uh, studio, and they were a bit of an international force in the 60s, 70s. They did films like um, The Day That the World Shook, which was uh, about the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and The Ravine. Um, but they they made a lot of films. And they, it's the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. They worked a lot internationally with Western film companies 
to provide cheap filming locations, experienced but affordable crews. So a mm-hmm. lot of TV movies were made in, in Yugoslavia. And, and obviously we've got all the films that were being made there in the 60s, like Kelly's Heroes, course, uh, Force yeah. 10 from Navarone, that kind of thing. Much like spaghetti westerns, Spain was a good area to film cheap spaghetti westerns. Uh, Yugoslavia was a great place to film in Europe. So other than that, not a great, great deal um, no, around. On like film. I couldn't even find any period reviews for the film. Like I, I could find write-ups for the video VHS release in the UK, but I couldn't find a review. It was just literally like a stock press junket of the mission yeah. and who was in it. I think we should probably get into the alley tally. <laughs> It's time for Ali Tally on Fighting on Film. I love that jingle. What have you picked for the Ali Tally this week? I see. So this week, I mean, it might be just because we're three dirty dozen films in. I'm getting to How that many stage. Three? three? Three whole dirty dozen films. Ah, my brain hurts. <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where nothing is impressing me anymore. It's the same sort of stuff. The only thing I could really pick out that I did enjoy seeing was the M3 Grease Guns are back as the mm-hmm. main armament of the dozen, which is nice to see. That's like a, a hark back to the first movie. I did enjoy seeing that, although there's no jungle mags. That would have been a nice homage. Even if Telly had had it on his Thompson. But I think my one standout pick this week is, uh, I'll talk about it in more depth when we get to fave scenes. Um, but there's a little section at the start where you see some Italian partisans and there's a, a blink and you'll miss it um, a little sequence where you can see two of them are armed with Beretta 38 submachine guns, which yeah. I thought was a really nice little touch just to remind the audience or the gun nuts among us that you're in Italy. It was chef's kiss. Mwah, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, blink and you miss it. The partisans were largely armed with um, Stem Mark IIs, weren't they? And there's yep. a couple of them in the square with with the 38s, which is cool to see because you don't see those mm. in, in, a, in a great number of films. Uh, and it, it makes sense. He was looking for the Duce at that point. So Yeah, he was. Um, That's, that, that seems great. I love it. It is. We'll yeah. talk about that more in a minute. For me, the standout was the patrol boat, uh, which yes, I, I thought was cool. good. Uh, I was racking my brain trying to work out what the, uh, the patrol boat was because there's a little scene where... For some reason, the partisans decide to take Telly and the boys to the river and, and they explain the Germans have become complacent and the river is the best way to travel. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they get into a huge gun battle with a uh, a river patrol boat. So they, they lose their first member of the dozen. He, someone gets shot. I don't know which one. One of the, one of the um, ones that we aren't introduced to uh, that was played by a local actor, I think it is. And yeah, they capture this cool little um, patrol boat, which they apparently take down river, but you don't really see them in on it. Um, yep. It just cuts to them back on dry land. It's the excuse for a gun battle, isn't it? It is. And it's yeah. using an asset from the, um, the Yugoslavian military. And thanks to Stephen Fisher for uh, helping us ID this over on Twitter. Um, he ID'd it as a 301 class minesweeper. And yeah. it was a part of uh, the Yugoslavia River Flotilla, oh, uh, nice. which is really cool. Um, and we actually get to see two of them. There's a scene later where um, 
Colonel Krieger, Wolf Caller, uh, arrives um, and he's given a briefing that they found yep. uh, under the patrol boat. It's really cool. Um, it's just big set piece asset that they could they could use at relatively cheap cost. I think and it was it was nice to include. Other than that, yeah, it's tricked than, out though. It's got double MG forty twos on it. Does with the bolts taken cannon. off? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I did like that bit. It's nice. Is there's something a bit different? I wasn't expecting like a land to sea battle. I guess you yeah, could call it that. yeah. It's the only death he does in movie so far with a, a naval element. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of that. I forget. I forget the exact regiments, but there's a bit in um, one of James Holl- James Holland's book on Normandy where um, some lads engage a German patrol boat in a river, and they oh, yeah, the Pegasus Bridge. In, they hit it with a pit. That's it. Yeah, and they write down in the, the notes saying how like they you know one one like patrol boat kill or something. I can't remember the exact like word, yeah. but it reminded me of that. Yeah, bit. Pegasus Bridge that uh, comes down from the coast, doesn't it? Um, it, there's parallels, but not quite. There was no pit. In this the, could the partisans have knocked it out with a pit, actually. Could have Thinking done. about it. Could have done. Yeah, that would been cool. Should have done. Mm-hmm. Woefully underused, the partisans in this one, I think. They are, yeah. Um, we're introduced to the partisan leader in France. Different, yeah, it is obviously different to the partisans that we meet in uh, the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Uh, although they're armed the same and mostly dressed the same. Yeah. But they're, well, they're different partisans. <laughs> different country. Matt, don't. Don't ruin the illusion for the audience, please. <laughs> and if you look really close, the actual square where the uh, partisan scene in Italy is set isn't too dissimilar to the Abbey itself. I think it might be redressed, but I'm not entirely sure. Um... <laughs> in terms of other other large assets, we've got um, there's a few jeeps, there's there's a, a Kubelwagen, um, there's a, uh, I think there's a couple of Opal Blitz in there. Yeah, like it's all in the background. Yeah, there's, there's some be... 50s stuff that shouldn't be in there. Mm. Um, there's there's actually a really weird tr- uh, half track with a, what looks like an upturned tin bath. There's a turret. Yeah, it's a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's, it's an M4. It's an M3 half track with a weird. Is it? Like up turreted sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, but you don't yeah. see it too. You don't see it close enough up to Thankfully. sort of work out what it is. Um, but I think that's the thing. There's for kit. There's nothing that remarkable. No, there's no um, break breakdown sniper rifle. No. Um, there's nothing as iconic as like Lee's grease gun. No. The one thing I've helped point out it, it it does annoy me in every one of these sort of every one of these cheaper production movies where Telly's got okay kit on so he's got his pistol and he's got his cartridge pouch and then he's got his thompson that doesn't look wrong but the rest of the dozen they're all holding grease guns and they've got m1 garand cartridge belts on oh it's the classic and it, it's such a trope i hate mm. so much just put them in a normal belt like it looks annoying to me because everyone gets even, one mag on this mission yeah if, even people who don't know weapons you can tell that the the stick coming out of that machine gun isn't as big as the ammo pouches they've got on their belts. <laughs> Put them in your M43 uh, jacket pockets. Like it, it, it's yeah. Oh, it's just a, it's just it's a nitpicky thing. I know it really is, but it does just grate on me a little bit because um, everything else looks okay. You know, they've got their M43s on. They got their scarves tucked in. They look like they're on a mission in the winter time. Yeah, yeah. Of course, Telly and, and Sergeant Holt have, have both got uh, M1A1 Thompsons. Mm. Uh, which sets them yeah, apart. Yeah, Teddy lets rip a few times, doesn't he? Doesn't he does, cool. he does. Um, 
he reminds me of uh, Big Joe when he lets rip. Mm. But that's about it. Um, the, oh, the, Marie, the resistance leader, has a, a little Beretta, I believe. And Telly pulls it when he is confronted by a collaborationalist. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A French scientist. That's it, yeah. Later on. So I think on that note, it is time for favourite scenes. Hello, Robbie here. Did you know you can support the podcast on Patreon? Join the supporting cast today and gain access to exclusive perks, such as discount codes, our monthly Patreon film votes, and the chance to get exclusive merchandise before anyone else. Search Fighting on Film on Patreon or find the link on our website. Thank you. Now back to the show. Matt cracking a can. Has to be done for this one. Expert film reviewers here. <laughs> this, this, these movies have driven us to drink, people. They really have. There's nothing actually wrong with this film. It's just no, not very not. exciting. It's just not that exciting. The stakes are yeah. there with the nerve agent, and the stakes are there with getting the scientists out, etc. But they don't ramp it enough. No, it doesn't ramp. It's just they get in, they blow the nerve gas. They yeah, escape. blow the canisters up. Yeah. And then it kind of peters out. Yeah, and there's like a, there's a moral problem where I want to say Pontiac, but I know it's not Fontiac. Fontiac. Frontenac, sorry, he sexually assaults the resistance leader. Yes, one of the one of the more um, challenging scenes of the film because it has its moments. Mm. Well, it, I think it's that's as well. It's harking back to that he does in one where Maggot does what he does to that woman. Yeah, that lady in the chateau. Mm. Um, so it's harking back to that, and then it's you know Telly sort of he, he apolo- almost apologizes for his actions and says, "Look, I need him to get into the chateau to speak French because he's the only one that does." You know, and it's like, well, then there's pl- the plot holes start to unravel. It's like, surely if you know you're going into France, then don't the guys have like a French doing American booklet? Have you not taught them basic French phrases? It's where the sort of movie falls down because I feel like the, the female character is only there to be sexually assaulted, which is wrong. Yes, it's grim, actually. Um, it is. You know, we might as well talk about a... that now. Um, sure. Because um, Telly doesn't apologize to Marie when Fontenac uh, rapes her. And that in itself is quite disturbing. You, mm. he, he justifies why he isn't going to do anything to him um, at that moment, but he doesn't apologise. Which really jarred me a bit. I was like, hang on a minute. You have a duty of care to your, your allies here. Well, she's, she's the most important ally they have. Yeah. And not only that, 
you know, as a human being, you would say if, on a moral if someone level. under your responsibility had done yeah. something so heinous, you would say, yeah. I'm sorry. I... But he dangles this carrot in front of her going, look, you do the mission, you help me finish my mission, you can you can kill him. I'll let you kill him at the end. You yeah. can have your revenge. And I'm like, okay, that's tropey in itself. Mm. It's not the best. It's not how you deal with it. I mean, they're definitely not now. It's how you deal with it, but definitely not then. <laughs> it's not how you deal with it either. It's too shoehorned in. And, you know, the actor, Bo Svensson, is doing, he's lauding it. He's chewing the scenery in these scenes. You know, he's really, yeah, you can yeah. tell, like, it's, he's play, he loves playing a shit, basically, in this movie. <laughs> um, he's the, he's more of a villain in the movie than, than Cap Calla's, um, uh, Krieger is for me, yes. I think. Uh, yeah, he that's makes true. you, that's you know, true. he really is. And then he gets this pretty half assed death at the end. Mm. Where yeah, it's he, this get, sort of re- he gets a redemption death, doesn't he? Yeah, but it's not even a, it's not satisfying because no. it it looks ridiculous for one. Yeah, yeah, it's no uh, Kirk Douglas flying off in in harm's way, is it? No, it's but not. It, it's, it's still yeah. it's still really um re- quite unpleasant for the film. To it's do laughable that. as well. Like I was, I was, I laugh like because um at the end they're trying to escape. The, the Germans have turned up with their armored car. They, you know they're getting absolutely peppered. So they set up a captured MG42 near the plane that they're trying to escape on the, the doesn't yeah. do. Um and there's a guy who gets wounded and they, they put him back on the, the plane and Pontiac sorry Pontiac fucking Pontiac tell it's late. Pontiac comes up. Frontenac. Oh Fontenac comes cracky. <laughs> Fontenac comes up and he's like I'll you know I'll do it. I'll 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 help. You know, I'll, I'll cover it. And it's basically like him saying to Telly, I know I'll die and I know I've done wrong. Yeah. And Telly just sort of nods at him and walks off, which I thought was hilarious, just the way that he does it. It was like, Jesus Christ, Telly, cold ass. And then he, you know, he gives this like, ah, oh, you know, like sort of like holding a machine gun and it's going off. And they're like, yeah. ah, you know, that sort of like tropey bollocks. And then he mm-hmm. gets killed. And I'm like, well, good. Don't care. His suppressive fire was of very little use because yeah. that airfield was being peppered by mortar and machine gun fire. There's no way that that plane would have taken off without casualties. But it's not. I mean, I know we're probably getting too, we're probably taking that too seriously in this this sort of really solid six out of ten. Not even solid. It's just six out of ten film. <laughs> but it's not enough for me. I'd have felt better if if he had managed to somehow hold off the Germans. And he was running towards the plane, and the girl leant out with a pistol and shot him. Yeah, that would like, that would have been that would have been a good scene. Exactly, yeah. that would have been that would have been her redemption. That would have been her completing her arc of killing him off. Mm. He would have had the, you know, he'd have had like the, you know, oh, I can I can reach out and grab the plane and get home, and everything will be okay, and I can get away with it. And then at the end, she leans out and goes, uh uh-uh, uh, bang. I wish that had happened, but alas, it did not. No, it's just not satisfying in that way at all. No, it's not. The end of the film isn't satisfying. Spoilers. So let's get on to some favourite scenes. Now we've talked about our unfavourite bits. Favourite scenes. Before we come back, we'll circle back to why we went super jazzed by the film. So my favourite scene is uh, during the actual infiltration into the Abbey. uh, Things have kicked off. There's a gun battle in the courtyard. Uh, Telly has sent a couple of guys to destroy the nerve gas. Mm-hmm. And he's tasked himself with going and taking out the uh, the radio room. So he, he's thrown off his disguise as a a, a monk. A monk. <laughs> um, where just moments earlier, he was, um, dis- they were discovered by a suspicious SS sergeant. 
That's a lot of S's for someone with a list. Always one. <laughs> Super sneaky SS sergeant. A sneaky son of a bitch. The suspicious SS sergeant comes in, Got he's got a P-38 on him, and he's like, I knew you weren't real monks. It's obvious. It's yeah, not it's entirely really obvious. But him and the, they look like shit Jedi cosplayers. That's what the they Kojak look like. Kojak and Fontenac. <laughs> These aren't the GIs you're looking for. <laughs> so Fontenac throws his um, his habit at the, yep. the German, and, and Telly drops him with a couple of rounds from his, his Colt uh, 1911. And then he runs off to the radio room. Uh, and he, somehow he, he diverts into running through the cellar um, yeah. and, and shoots a German with an MP uh, with an MP40, and he does the he does the right thing. He does the right thing, Rob. This is where the goodness starts. He, does. he puts yeah. the, the 1911 away and he picks up the MP40. You know, it's a firepower improvement. If you ever played a game, you know that you always pick up a better yeah. weapon, and he does. Um, so he gets to the to the radio room and he just lets rip. He just empties this entire MP40 magazine into the radio room and it's it's his very, rambo 2 moment it is it's the rambo 2 moment it's it's the almost every action movie moment really isn't it it's such a trick ah. destroying the radio room <laughs> <laughs> and yeah that's just a good little little scene with with telly it's having a blast yeah he looks great he's giving you know, it's, as i said earlier it's big joe whenever he lets rip the smg he just looks mm. like big joe mm. he's cracking isn't he looks good for 65 he does, does quite, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, he never breaks he's above in, a jog, but he looks good. No, dad run, dad run at best. Yeah, you know. Um, but he's in between Kojak movies, so he's channeling Kojak a bit. I think every now and then that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. So my favorite scene is the start of the film. I really enjoy, the rest of the movie is just it's okay. You know, there's nothing too remarkable. Standard TV movie fare at this point, but yeah. the start to me is really interesting. So. We, we have the credits roll and we hard cut to Telly and his his um, resistance uh, partisan friend who looks like Malcolm McDowell from Wish um, with a crew neck on. <laughs> <laughs> he really does to me. Um, so they're in, we're in northern Italy. He's got zero like control over where his muzzle's pointing. If he, if he yeah, had, exactly. his finger had slipped, he'd have shot Telly right in He's the back waved, of the head. Yeah. Wish Malcolm McDowell waving this stent around like nobody's business. Um, so they're, you know, they're sneaking in and the partisans are sort of sneaking in with them. And then there's a guy on top of a building and, and Telly gives the word and, and a grenade's thrown into the courtyard where the German German trucks have convened um, and it's an explosion. And Telly comes in and, and they start running across the courtyard when the partisans jogging. come in, jogging again. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, they do jog, actually. Crikey. Um, so all the partisans are having a shootout. Uh, with the German garrison, and it turns out Telly's there to kill Mussolini. Yeah, he breaks into that. Um, it's a bordello, isn't it? Um, and he, he breaks in, and there's a lady in the bed, and she's like, ah, and he goes, Where is he? and he shoots a um, well, Duce is gone, he shoots a wardrobe with a mirror on it. And so Telly's going into this film with seven years bad luck already after shooting yeah, that mirror. There's a German officer with a pistol, wasn't there? Yeah, and he falls through and he goes, that's not Mussolini. <laughs> that's not Mussolini. It's like, nah, really? Never, but I liked uh, it because yeah. it sets Major right, Telly's new character, it sets him up as this renegade major who's off on his own missions or has, like you said earlier, is he doing these sort of 
dirty dozen esque missions in the he background. He certainly hinted at it. Yeah, he's like Major Rise one down from Riseman. You know, he's still a bit of a thorn in the army side. Warden thinks he's a bit of a loose cannon, but still really sort of a roots to the underdog type thing. It's one of those tropes in films where it shows you the end of something you would want to see more of. Yeah, yeah. It would have been great to get a little bit more context of the Mu- the Mussolini mission. Wouldn't yeah. It? You know, even if he'd gone, oh, it's a shame. It's a shame Mussolini wasn't there. But, you know, that was a, a nice place that he was in. You know, if they made like a joke about it, to say, perhaps after, mm. I would have might enjoyed that. But it was, a, it was a nice to see a set piece right at the start. I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, and totally. I think it, yeah, and it introduced Telly quite well, I thought. Yeah, it did. Um, it's not a bad character, Major Wright, to be honest. No, it's not. I, I quite liked him. If, you know, if there's going to be more of this in the next movie, I'm all for it. Yeah. Honestly, Telly's one of the best best things about this. Perhaps not in his 60s action role prime. He still can do the cheeky comedy. Yeah. You know, he's he's cool. He's, he's suave. You know, he's got that swagger. He's certainly got the charisma. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, mm. I don't know who else... You could have done, you could have cast really no, from it. No, I know what you mean. You know, in that same vein. Final thoughts, Matt? It's a solid five out of ten for me, I think. Yeah, we don't really rate them, but it's the best way to critique it. Yeah, yeah, for this film, for this film. We don't rate films, but for this film, uh, it's a good way of getting across how mediocre I feel about it. <laughs> like Immortan Joe, mediocre. <laughs> Immortan Big Joe. That's <laughs> <laughs> quality. There's just something lacking. We're rushed through the introductions of the, of the dozen, which is, isn't mm. a bad thing in it itself. No, that was quite refreshing, um, actually, because it seemed too many of them at this point. Absolutely. And then once that happens, the, the mission is, it obviously has a lot of uh, weight to it, and it's it's a high-stakes mission, which is great. Mm. But I don't think the, the sequence or the climax of the film gets that across, because it's very easy for them to get in there and mm. destroy the actual the chemical weapons. Yeah. Some of the choreography of the of the fight scenes is a little bit stodgy. Um, some of the stuff in the courtyard, there's there's a bit where uh, there's a, a 30 caliber machine gun manned by the Germans firing on the the group, and they're all pinned down. Yeah. And one of the dozen who isn't a named dozen, um, let's say, runs out of cover and empties his his grease gun into the general area. It doesn't hit anything. There is no way in hell that he wouldn't have been shot. He, he just stood there for too long. And there's a number of those shots where the, the character is just present or exposing themselves just too long. And while it's, it's, it's a movie, it just doesn't look quite right. It, it just lacks a little, little bit of that snap that, you, that, we, that mm. we actually got in um, Dirty Dozen 2. Yeah, I agree with you. It, it was a little bit snappier, uh, even though we only got one real set piece. There's a, there's a really laughable bit where Telly knocks out the that machine gun post with a grenade, and it's like two stories above him, and he's he's taking cover behind a truck. Yeah, um, and he, he he pulls the pin on this grenade, and there's no effort in his face. He's just he just sort of half-assed throws it over his like behind him, mm. and nails it. Knocks out the machine gun nest in one, and it, it's just like oh no. 
mm. that could have been a that could have been like a, a really good little scene and it's just wasted everything's wrapped up too quick yeah it does feel like sometimes i just wish some scenes had had a bit more time to breathe like the start i wish that start you know the start of the movie had been maybe 10 minutes longer could have sacrificed some of the middle parts of the movie that try to establish a story but by doing that they detract from the main story you know there's a, a whole bit with um the the initial resistance movement leader um is killed but that's not important at all yeah I, yeah I it's killed by that. krieger um, and this british um soe agent i assume who's parachuted in and they, they just talk exposition yes um, oh they've, and they're they've, killed. they've uh, sorted out as a commando team to come in and, and then they get shot that's it yeah and they get shot exactly and it's sort of needless you know like, well, that meant nothing to the final plot it was just to set up having the girl come in as the resistance leader so she could be sexually we could have just had a girl resistance leader it wasn't unbelievable that we would have exactly you didn't need to have she's that. good she's a, she's um uh she's quite really competent good. in the role she uh her character marie uh vera lane was played by uh emmanuel Mizigniak, yeah. she's very good in it. Um, she's really good. I I enjoyed her um, her role in the film, and I I I think they that made me a little bit more angry about those rape scenes that we talked about earlier, yeah. and how there was no consequence to them. No, exactly. It does. It's uh, annoying. And isn't she it? didn't get her character resolution from that. No. Yeah. Well, she wasn't allowed to. That's more... no. Exactly. The plot just just drops away, and we we get Wolf Carler again as as Krieger as the bad German. And he's criminally underused. He, yeah, exactly. It's such a neat like. He does not need to be there. I he's mean, got nothing to do. He survives for one thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. He, maybe he comes back as the the big evil baddie in the last movie. Who knows? I have, we've not got there yet. I'm not sure. But if it had been on Lee's watch, he wouldn't have survived. No, yeah, he'd have been <laughs> he'd have been done in. Yeah, he but it, it it just wanted more from this one. Because I heard some people say it's one of the one of their favourites in the entire franchise. Um, some Fair people enough. just say these all these subsequent movies are garbage, but it has its merits in places. But it just doesn't follow up on anything, you know. Whereas the Dirty Dozen Two is a garbled mess after the initial half hour, say half an hour, yeah. forty minutes. Yeah. This one is just competent enough to enjoy. Once I was done with it, it left no lasting impression on me. Like I had to go back and thoroughly rewatch scenes because it it just it's one of those movies you've you watched it, it it's out of my head. It, it it's a little bit forgettable, and that is mainly because there's in this one there's so little uh, development. I mean, there was very little development of the of the, the characters in the previous film, but that was carried by um, Lee Marvin, obviously. What if the, the you know the, I was I was hoping that there was going to be some sort of bit where the gas was released by the by the Germans to sort of slow the them down or something or yeah there was no you know, there'd be a, a town like they, you know they come in with the orphans you know at the end with the trope oh you have to save the orphan children well couldn't they not have used those as a pawn these commandos are going to come in and if they get anywhere near the gas we're going to gas all these innocent civilians innocent orphans yeah. that would have been your stakes but no they don't they they bottom out and blow up their gas with no issue Mm. So I just wish there'd been a lot more to pin my sort of, oh God, will they will they do it or not? And of course they'll do it because it's a TV movie. There's not going to be any real gruesome parts. The only bit the movie's got going for me where it truly did something that shocked me was the scene where they show the gas 
the effect of the gas on that poor woman in the in the chain in the torture chamber. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the more stark parts of the movie, wasn't it? Mm. There's a there's a briefing scene with Ennis Borgnine. Some Ennis Borgnine doesn't have a lot to do in this film. Uh, obviously, no. there's no train set. There's no golfing. Um, he's, just, he's just being warden, isn't he? Just another day at the office. He is, for him. and he, his uniform's a lot better in this, though. You gotta gotta say yeah, that. Yeah, he is. He's a bit. But yes, they're in a briefing, and he plays this film that's been captured, and it's the, it's so reminiscent of you know human experimentation that we know that Nazis were doing. Yeah, of course, uh, and that's what makes that scene so weighty. Mm. It is the way it is weighty, isn't it? That's the word. But that's never that's never reached again. That that no. level of of consequence it just lacks. And then there's some weird um, scenes that didn't really need to be in there there's a there's a bit where the head scientist and his wife are forced to go and uh, yeah. attend a uh, a party for the new area commander who's arrived on that day and telly and uh stan who is uh graham's character uh he his character is actually quite interesting he's yeah, he a is, spanish yeah. civil war veteran uh it turns out that he's a german jewish emigre that just literally hates the Germans. Uh, he has the most interesting character development and arc of backstory. But they infiltrate the, the chateau where this party's being held to rescue the, the the head scientist because they're like, oh well, he knows more about all this than we do combined. Yeah. So we need, we need to get him one. out. Um so Tully's like, oh for God's sake, okay. It just felt like an, an excuse to put 20 minutes extra on the movie. That's all it felt like. Yeah, there's no, there was no like point to it. If Telly had found some sort of way to kill all those Nazis in a day dozen one esque scene, then that would have given it some purpose. Maybe if it had not been made for TV, you could have had them, you know, go. Oh, I found. Look, I smuggled a canister of gas out. Let's use oh, it. Oh wow, yeah, that that would have been a good idea. Yeah, you know, turn it on them. Let's mm. let's give them a taste of their own medicine, and you could have had. You could have had Stern, you know, this Jewish character administering the gas. That would have been bold. Yeah, that would have been very it would have bold. Been, it would have been gruesome and bold, but at least mm. it would have it would have made me think, bloody hell, someone thought about this. Yeah. Whereas I didn't think at times anyone really did. It's it's not as meandering as number two, but it's just missing something. It's a movie that is just lacking a little bit extra. That's my fine, real final thoughts. I didn't thoroughly hate it, but I didn't thoroughly enjoy it either. I'm interested to see what, the final film holds for us. Um, yeah. Telly returns as Major Wright. Um, it's the same director. It's the same cinematographer, much of the same production crew. I think the cast changes. Um, it does again, yeah. Despite some of the characters remaining the same, so that's going to be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, a, a bit of a mediocre one. Um, Telly's pretty good in it, um, but it lacks some of the magic of, well, the first film. Well, they all do, don't they? Really, that's the issue yeah. here. That's the real crux. Um, so, yeah, if you're a dirty dozen completionist, I mean, add this to your collection. If you just love Telly Savalas being Telly Savalas for an hour and a bit, mm-hmm. add it to your collection. But we watched it for you, so you didn't have to. <laughs> have no fear, <laughs> off listeners. We always take that bullet for you. And of course, if you're also enjoying Dirty Dozen December as much as we are, do pick up your T-shirts. Um, they are available on the FOF website, which is fightingonfilm.com. 
we are coming up on the last date to get them before Christmas. They'll be available until probably after Christmas, I think. Yeah, a few days after. Um, but if you want one before Christmas as a conversation starter with relatives and friends, then grab yours before the 16th, which is, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, when the, when the episode drops, is tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. And join us again next week for The Dirty Dozen, The Fatal Mission. Bye, guys. Catch you next week, guys. Bye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.